this is what we, we want to bottle. This, this is the essence of what it is because you've got people from all over the world and the thing that's bringing them together is, is what they're making and doing things with their hands. It's got nothing to do with where you're from, you know, who you are, what, what my assumptions are about your background. It's about, oh, what, what are you making there? Tell me about that. Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. I'm recording this on Saturday the 20th of June 2020. After three months of lockdown in the UK, we're now allowed to form a social bubble. So last night we had our first meet-up with some local friends who came over for homemade curry. It's episode 30, and I'm going to reflect on the last nine episodes, drawing out some themes we can learn from. There's also a further conversation with Joffan Sonsbeek of women's wear brand Baukian, where we discuss packaging. The wonders of online communication mean we've been to the United States, Jordan, Uganda, Canada and Ghana in the last nine episodes. We've talked to a startup looking for funding, two social enterprises, two charities, a community cooperative and several businesses that have been growing for 15 to 20 years. If we look at the circular economy strategies of these organisations, If we look at the circular economy strategies of these organisations, five are helping to close the loop and regenerate, two are slowing the flow of materials through more durable circular designs, and two are intensifying the flow through sharing services. To read a summary of those circular economy strategies with a simple diagram, go to the resources section of the Rethink Global website and read our article, What is the Circular Economy? In this podcast, we'll also look at how these different organisations are creating value for different groups, for their customers, suppliers, employees, communities, and for our planet. In episode 21, we heard from a company called Close the Loop, which started in Australia in 2001, expanded into the US in 2007, and then into Europe in 2016. In my conversation with Tom Ogonek, we hear how Close the Loop has evolved as people have become more aware of the benefits of circular economy approaches. Close the Loop provides collection, recovery and reuse programmes for a range of products, starting out with printer cartridges and now expanding into other products, including cosmetics. What began as a way to collect print cartridges for major printer brands so they didn't end up being refilled and sold as cheaper alternatives, is now a thriving business using material science to develop ways of reusing more and more of the metals, plastics and even inks in those printer consumables.
I believe the the manufacturers started doing this as, as a defensive response to the remanufacturers. Um, but since then, it, it has developed more into a, how do we get value out of these? It's, it's expected from customers. Um, it, it's a bad PR to have uh, cartridges sitting in landfills and, and people taking videos of that. So it, it's become more about, hey, we have sustainability goals. We want to engage in the circular economy. How do we keep getting more and more value out of these return programs? And that's what Closed Loop does. We, we try to mine the value, show them where the value it is. It's not just a marketing ploy, but it, it's about value added processes uh, to engage in the circular economy. So I guess it goes back to something I, I started talking about in the second edition of the book in terms of when you're thinking about your business model, you need to be careful not to leave value on the table for somebody else. And maybe that's what they realized they were doing. But by putting high quality toner cartridges onto the market that were capable of being refilled several times and not collecting them back themselves, they were leaving all that value in the in the materials and the um, you know the the well thought through design that made it able to be refilled. They were leaving that on the table for all these third party manufacturers to just pick up and and uh, do something with. That's right. Uh, and some of our partners really value their collection programs and the ability to remanufacture their own cartridges uh which is which is great uh, we've we do um we do cleaning we've we've spent money on infrastructure to to help them realize that um but it's at the end of the day it's got to make financial sense for for both parties so it they're good programs they're they're great for the environment but they're also good financially for our customers and partners close the loop is building its knowledge of what makes a good circular design which features help its manufacturing clients to efficiently and effectively recover as much value as possible at the end of the product's use. That knowledge means Close the Loop can then help the design teams of those original equipment manufacturers. We are not directly engaged in, in the design of cartridges, um, but we definitely discuss how to recycle them, how to recycle them more efficiently, um, what design changes could be made. That's something that that we have been in discussions with since um, we've started uh, going through the recycling process. How do you make this easier or make it easier to recover? Because at the end of the day, you want to be able to, to recover this, this product and, and not have it hit landfill, which is our commitment. Um, waste energy we use as a last resort. So we try to minimize that as much as possible because once you, once you burn that there's nothing left. Um, so it's really about how do we keep plastic in plastic? How do we keep metal in metal, etc. In episode 24, we learned about another well-established business with a strategy to close the loop. Circular Computing has been remanufacturing high-quality top brand laptops, including Dell, HP and Lenovo, since the 1990s. It now provides laptops to education, business, public sector, and even direct to consumers. Steve Haskew told us how every machine goes through a 100 plus point check. Any worn components are replaced and selected components are upgraded to give them a performance boost. The laptops are certified carbon neutral with performance tested as providing 97% compared to a new model. The company now has over 250 staff 
and remanufacturing capacity of up to 100,000 units each month. As I mentioned in the last Circular Insights, HP began promoting Circular Computing's carbon-neutral remanufactured HP laptops to consumers alongside the brand new HP model. HP is responding to the extra demand for laptops as more people work from home and children are homeschooling. Steve explained the difference between proper remanufacturing and the unregulated second-use markets like eBay, where you might find laptops marked as remanufactured or refurbished, but you're taking the risk on quality, reliability and so on. Steve Haskew talked about semicircular strategies as a step in the right direction, and I explored this semicircular concept in a follow-up blog, why semicircular strategies are a sustainable step forward. Steve also explained how circular computing has developed different value propositions for each of the people involved in the client's decision process. The IT manager, the CEO, the person responsible for waste disposal, and the sustainability director all have slightly different objectives and circular computing helps each of them get comfortable with the idea of using remanufactured equipment by creating a business case for their specific needs. In the research for the second edition of my circular economy handbook looking at what companies like Apple are doing I think major brands are starting to see that the linear model isn't working for them. For phones tablets, laptops and lots of other products, to get people to upgrade to a new model means it has to look better and have sufficient improvements in features and performance. The pressure to sell more and to create a new model to do that means lots of R&D investment. When the new model is launched it needs massive marketing spend and probably means writing off valuable stock of the old models. And, as I've mentioned before, using other tactics like software upgrades that actually downgrade the performance of the old model can quickly destroy brand trust. A survey by ING in 2019 across 13 countries found 60% of people expect to repair products instead of discarding them in the next three years. Once people realise there aren't many benefits to paying for the latest model, and that some companies are designing products that can be repaired, upgraded and remade, then new becomes less attractive. Realising that remanufactured products perform almost as well as new ones, but have a much lower environmental footprint and cost less, gives people a win-win option. For episode 25, just before the lockdown, I was in London and visited Joff van Sonspeek, the founder of and CEO of two clothing brands. Joff and his wife set up maternity clothing brand Isabella Oliver back in 2003 to solve the problem of how to find high-quality, beautiful maternity wear. They sell small capsule collections of well-designed clothes that will last for years. Customers loved what they were doing, and in 2012, Joff expanded into contemporary women's wear with the non-maternity brand Baukian. Both brands focus on environmentally, ethically and socially conscious style for a sustainable future. Baukian is also working through the process of certification as a B Corp. We talked about how the two brands are building on their durable and timeless design ethos 
and evolving a range of circular practices. These include take-back schemes, resale and rental. Baokian is also switching to more sustainable fabrics, even moving away from organic cotton. After the interview, we got talking about Baokian's approach to packaging. Have a listen. So, Joff, a lot of consumers these days are wanting to do the right thing for the environment, for the climate and biodiversity emergency, and people are starting to focus quite a lot on packaging because it's something they feel they can actively do something about, whether that's reducing or making sure it's recycled or trying to find a, a zero package, packaging option. What are you doing um, to try and help people reduce their footprint? We take that very serious um, because packaging is uh, integral to the business we have. It has a necessity, um, but it can also be designed for good. Um, but the shocking stat is that 50% of the plastic waste out there globally is actually coming from plastic packaging. Mm. It's unacceptable. And it's often, you know, one-time use. It's a really horrid situation. So the long and short is that we, since 2018, are 100% plastic-free in all the packaging to the customer. Um, and we've done this in an interesting way. We worked with a company called Lil Packaging, who were very innovative and in pushing the boundaries and coming up with packaging that is, again, functional, good-looking, but also made from 100% uh, recycled materials, uh, 100% plastic-free, uh, using natural inks uh, in the print, te print technique. It is completely recyclable, and the box or the paperback, we use two different things, are also biodegradable. Now, this is all, to me, natural, and mm. I really don't understand why the sector doesn't do this at large, hence my little packaging kind of plug here, please all go there and pick it up. Um, but we also done a bit more on it, and we thought, how do we get the customer to, to recognize this? And, and what we've done on our packaging, put quite central when you open the box or on the outside of our paper envelope, which we increasingly use, uh, all recycled, um, put a big barcode, uh, sorry, a QR code, and we basically asked the customer, point your mobile camera to mm. the barcode. You don't need to click, you don't need a scanner. Point to it to discover how I'm made, why I'm so friendly, what to do with me if you don't need it. And this is a unique opportunity for us to get customers on our journey to see what our ambition has been and how we over the last years kept making changes, big and large changes towards that objective. And there are anecdotal things in there. Did you know that you know we went to what they call a worm farm to see how long does it take for this box to biodegrade if you put them in the ground and what do you need to do? And we can just give all of that information to the customer. So it's not just the journey um, with anecdotal and color storytelling, um, but it's also about practical advice what to mm. do. And we're just adopting the idea that, you know, there's so many different icons and things out there. It's really confusing. Yes. So we said, do we actually, should we use this platform too? to just try to make sense in layman language to people what these icons mean, which, you know, raises questions like, but hang on, we're a fashion company, we're also a bit of a disruptor, are we tech, what are we? Are we now also packaging advisors? So uh, part of our thinking is we need experts to help do that for us, but we have a unique opportunity to teach customers and, and uh, in doing so, inevitably uh, change behavior. Yes, I think people will really be enthused by that and it's 
surprising that more companies aren't doing that and that there aren't more collaborations um, enabling that to happen. There was a programme um, I was watching this week on Channel 5 all about uh, recycling and people generally you know, didn't understand the symbols and there was one symbol that was that was used on a few packages that was just meaningless and yet the visual image of the, of the symbol led people to think it must be recyclable but actually it was a meaningless symbol. Very dangerous. Yeah. And again, when people find that out, it kind of undermines their trust in the brand that's used that symbol. I, so, I yeah. totally agree. Um, but, you know, uh, ironically, biodegradable is actually a difficult mm. category. Yeah. Um, and if biodegradable goes in recycling, it can really contaminate and cause trouble, yes. which on occasions may lean you to say better not biodegradable. You have to follow also what the large part of the customers actually will do with it. Yes. So sometimes not being the best may be better for the world. Yes, I think finding the easiest route to get it back into yeah. the system. And as you say, if it's um, biodegradable or compostable, but it's not likely to go into a compostable route, then you're better off using a you know a readily recyclable plastic and at least agree. keep something in the loop. I was impressed by the way Baukian continually evolves its approaches always looking at how it can be more responsible, more circular, and make long-lasting positive change. There wasn't enough time in the podcast to cover everything, so I wrote a follow-up blog. Fashion, from fast and forgettable to slow and sustainable. Why purpose-driven brands like Baukian and Isabella Oliver are choosing circular strategies. You can find it on rethinkglobal.info. Every organisation covered in the last nine episodes is providing multiple forms of value for customers, employees, suppliers, their local communities and for our planet. In episode 22, we heard from Bassam Hunaidi in Jordan. Bassam was setting up a circular economy system for Argelis, which are an important part of cafe culture, allowing people to share tobacco smoking. Bassam's Argali project offers better value for money for the cafe owners, as well as a healthier experience for cafe customers and employees. By providing a circular alternative to single-use vapes, it has the potential to replace 440 million single-use pieces of plastic across the Middle East every year. In the next episode, we heard from Andy Bounds, the founder of EcoBricks in Uganda. EcoBricks enables communities to earn money by collecting waste plastic to be converted into, into bricks and pavers in a process that combines the plastic with sand. Across much of Africa, plastic waste is a massive issue for wildlife, livestock and human health. EcoBricks solves a local problem and by providing flexible jobs, enables disabled and disadvantaged people to earn money. Moving on to episode 26, and we talked to Katie Briggs. Katie set up the Textile Review to close the loop on fabric from the events sector, helping buyers and sellers reduce cost and impact. She provides her customers with information on the environmental impact of their more sustainable choices, and with transparency by tracking where products come from and where they go to. By doing this, Katie makes it easy for her customers to tell the story about their sustainability, ethical and circular improvements.
The next couple of episodes were about Library of Things initiatives. First, in episode 27, we heard about the Edinburgh Tool Library from Chris Hellowell. This is a charity which provides a wide range of community and education programmes, as well as the Tool Library itself. One of the projects is funded by the Volant Trust, supporting women who've either been victims of domestic abuse, are long-term unemployed, or lack confidence. Small groups work with female woodwork tutors over several weeks, first building something for themselves, then working together to build something for the community. Um, so they, they build skills, they build confidence. Um, I think what's particularly power, powerful about that is, is when it's um, people who have perhaps been told that um, their value is, is less than, than, it, than it really is. Um, it's a great way of, of them thinking, you know what, I can do this and I, and, and I don't need anybody's permission. Um, that's, that's something that I'm incredibly proud of. And, um, you know, we've, we've been doing it for two or three groups now and we've got another um, sort of, when this is all finished with coronavirus, we've got another seven or eight groups in Edinburgh that we're, we'll be working with and um, lined up to, um, to take that on. Um, and then we also have um, a fantastic, and one of the amazing things about the tool library is that we create so many opportunities for volunteers. So, so there's the, the delivery of the services, the, the librarians, the, the workshop volunteers, um, but also we, we, we recognize that, you know, volunteering at every, every Wednesday night or every Saturday afternoon isn't necessarily um, fit with everybody's uh, sort of lifestyle or, or balance of, of, of work and um, downtime. So we, we have um, usually around six projects a year where other community groups, charities, schools um, come and suggest an idea that our volunteers can support them with. Um, and then the volunteers, we, we facilitate the volunteers um, project managing that um, developing, um, you know, designs, plans, sourcing materials, working out what tools they need, making sure all the health and safety and the, um, you know, the kind of risk assessments are all uh, ready for that. Um, but then, but then, still, it's it's still led by the the volunteers with support from staff. Um, and then it's usually over the course of of a weekend or a couple of weekends, um, there'll be between ten and twenty, thirty people, um, going out volunteering, building things for. Uh, we've we built a, a small vegetable shop and kind of potting shed. Um, we've built uh, the one we're working on when this has all stopped was rebuilding a, a pirate ship that was um, torched by some arsonists in, at a primary school. So we we've been ripping all that out and, and rebuilding it. Um, we've done uh, outdoor kitchens for primary schools, so mud kitchens, sand pits, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's really great because it, it connects us with other groups that are. Um, you know, have a similar sensibility. If you think that, um, you know, that, that community work and, and doing things together rather than having them done for them is, is more important. Um, I, think, I think particularly what I really like about the school's projects is, um, like, it's, you know, it's very rewarding seeing, get, getting pictures from kids of, of them playing in the, in, the, in the sandpit. But I think what's more important is those kids understand that all of that material was reused. Workshop sessions help bring people together, and Chris gives us an example of how working together helps spark conversations and connections. There was one one particular day I could think of, and we, I went into the workshop, and there was um, a, a Chinese student, um, an Italian, a Spaniard, three very local, like born across the road, Lithas, 
Um, and they were and a, a, a Syrian refugee, so we, we have a, an arrangement with the council, so we give free memberships to um, new Scots um, from Syria. So um, and they were all we 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 sort of stop everybody halfway through and make everybody make everybody drink tea um, just to kind of build some conversation and 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 talk about the projects and things. And I was just like, this is this is this is what we we want to bottle. This this is the essence of what it is because you've got people from all over the world and the thing that's bringing them together is, is what they're making and doing things with their hands it's got nothing to do with where you're from you know who you are what what my assumptions are about your background it's about oh what what are you making there tell me about that and I think that's that's the real power of of, um, of a community workshop like this. We heard about a different approach to libraries of things in episode 28 when we spoke to Chris Diplock in Vancouver. Chris told us about the thingery a kind of library of things in a box, a shipping container. It's solar-powered, uses computers and barcodes to manage the lending process and to manage secure access, so members of the community can access it at convenient times. Chris wants to expand the Thingery concept around the world. Have a look at the Thingery website to find out more. Finally, in episode 29, we spoke to the amazing Mabel Suglo, who set up Dignified Wear, a social enterprise in Ghana, making shoes, bags and other products from waste materials like tyres. Mabel was inspired by her grandma, who had leprosy and had to struggle with the physical challenges of that, plus the difficulty of finding paid work, and with the social stigma of disability, which exists across many parts of the world. Dignified Wear is a social enterprise providing training and paid employment for disabled and disadvantaged people. It creates value from problematic waste and concentrates on making products with traditional Ghanaian styles and skills, helping create a healthy export market and bringing extra money into the community. I'm looking forward to talking to more people making the circular economy happen in future episodes. I'm keen to find more businesses and social enterprises outside the UK and in developing economies. If you know of a good example, please get in touch. You can email us via podcast at rethinkglobal.info. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my award-winning book, a circular economy handbook for business and supply chains, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can find the podcast show notes with transcripts and links on rethinkglobal.info. Please let us know what you'd like us to feature on the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. You can get in touch via our website, rethinkglobal.info or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time.